This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Well, welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. I am so glad to be with you, and today I want to talk about baptism. We've got an upcoming baptism service at Cornerstone Church coming up on February 11th. I am super excited for that, and if uh, you are wanting to be baptized at Cornerstone, be sure to go online to the website, fill out that form so that we can get you on the list and be able to see your testimony of faith in Christ and get you ready for that. But part of what I wanted to do here, kind of looking forward to that, is answer some of the questions that I get frequently around baptism. Questions about what is baptism all about? As you look at you know, baptism, why, why do we do it certain ways? Is there a minimum age to be baptized at Cornerstone? If I was baptized as an infant, should I be rebaptized? You know, all sorts of things um, regarding that. So I just want to give some practical biblical guidance, but also some wisdom guidance on how we operate as a local church at Cornerstone that I think might bring some clarity and some help to people as they think about what baptism is. So I want to start with the Bible, and then I want to go to some wisdom guidance. So first, with the Bible, why is baptism important? So Cornerstone Church is a Baptist church or a Baptistic church, and what that traditionally and typically means, if you look at Protestant churches in the world, Baptist churches are characterized by a belief that baptism should be done by immersion after salvation as a testimony, a profession of faith, of a person who has believed in Jesus. And so there's a couple things in there that are important to highlight. The first is that we believe baptism at Cornerstone, the pattern we see in the New Testament is that baptism is done by immersion. And to be honest, I'm actually being a bit redundant there because in the New Testament, the word Greek, the word in Greek, baptizo, literally means immersion plunging, dipping underneath water. So the idea that you could baptize someone by sprinkling is a bit of a contradiction in terms. That would be like saying you can immerse someone by sprinkling. Like that doesn't, that's not actually true. The word baptizo, if we were just translating the Greek literally, every time you see it in the New Testament, it would read like in Acts 8, 6, when the eunuch looks and he sees, hey, look, there's water. What would keep me from being immersed in the water, for going underneath the water? That would be a literal translation. So the first reason we believe baptism should be done by immersion is because the meaning of the word itself is immersion. The second reason is that immersion is almost definitely recorded and required in every New Testament instance of baptism. We see people going into the water, not standing beside the water, coming out of the water, not, you know, not just being hit by the water. And so all over the place, whether it's the baptism of Jesus and Mark, and in Matthew or in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch, all of those instances are done by immersion. And what baptism is about is important. I believe baptism, while it is done by immersion, its meaning is a symbolism. Baptism is a picture, an outward sign, a symbol of union with Christ, a symbol that by faith we have been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul says it this way in Romans 6, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? 
We were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into death. That's not literal. We weren't literally buried, but in a way, as we go under the water, we picture that burial with Christ, united in his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too could walk in a new way of living. Baptism is a picture. We were buried with him so to picture that we died to our old way of living. We died to our sins. We've turned from our sins, and we are raised up out of the water to picture that now, by faith, we've been united to Christ. Baptism, therefore, is a picture, a symbol of the new life of a Christian. It's, it's a symbol of our entry into, into the family of God. Now, it's important here, um, I'm just going to pause and say, I'm contrasting that understanding, a more Baptistic understanding of the practice of baptism, with perhaps a, uh, an infant baptism way of understanding it. Now, when people say, well, what's the difference between Cornerstone's belief in churches that might believe in infant baptism? Well, okay, I'm going to explain that briefly. You have a couple different ways that people who practice infant baptism are practicing. One that I'm actually deeply concerned about, the other that I have a deep respect for, though I don't myself practice it. The first way would be what we could consider the Roman Catholic view on baptism that teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation, okay? The Catholic sacrament of baptism is essential so that an infinite uh, cannot, while they cannot themselves rep- exercise saving faith, that baptism is valid because it is the effective cause of justification, okay? So, what I'm saying there is the Roman Catholic understanding is that baptism itself in the working of the works is necessary for salvation. It's, it's part of the understanding of the Roman Catholic view of the sacraments, that the sacraments are the taps, they're, they're the means by which the church dispenses to the people of the church the grace of God. So baptism in a Roman Catholic understanding is essential, uh, not essential as an act of obedience, but literally essential for the grace of Christ to be placed on the sinner. Baptism is necessary for salvation in that sense, Okay. It's a work that's necessary for salvation. I would reject that view entirely. Now, there's a different view that some people would hold of infant baptism, which would be the Protestant paedo-baptist or infant baptist uh, view, which is that baptism should happen for all the children of believing parents. In this way, baptism is seen maybe closer to what we would consider like a dedication event, where we are presenting the the child to God and introducing them into the covenant community of faith. And it's seen in this way as a parallel to what happened when infants were circumcised in the old covenant. So in the old covenant, circumcision was the outward sign of entrance into the covenant community of Israel. And so the argument here would be in the New Testament, the people of God likewise have an outward sign that signifies their entrance into the covenant community. And that outward sign is baptism. In the old covenant, since baptism or since circumcision was done to infants, uh, we should likewise in the new covenant follow that same pattern with the entry rite of baptism. Now, okay, this, I want to, I want to make a point here. I actually think that they get right that baptism is parallel to circumcision, okay? I'm going to read Colossians 2 to make this point. Colossians 2 says, in him you also were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by the putting off the body and the circumcision of Christ, and you were buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, raised him from the dead. I want you to know that there is a circumcision connection to baptism in Colossians 2, okay? That's, that's key. However, here's the key. What's different is the type of community that we enter into in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, circumcision was what joined a person as the physical external means of entrance into the covet community of Israel, okay? All people who were supposed to be part of the covenant community of Israel, the physical community, had to have the sign of the covenant, circumcision. In the New Testament, though, Colossians 2 What it's talking about here is a circumcision without hands that happens to us when we put on Christ. That's not just a physical sign of entrance into the physical community of the church. Instead, the church there is a spiritual community. We got into the old covenant community of Israel by physical birth, but in the new covenant, Jesus says, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So the difference here is that in the new covenant, to enter into the people of God in the New Testament, we don't enter by physical birth, but by spiritual birth, by new birth. That's not something that happens as an infant. That's something that happens upon our profession of faith in Christ or the working of the Spirit. So we do need the sign of the covenant, baptism, as we are to outwardly demonstrate that we are part of the people of God. It's just that that sign of the covenant demonstrates our entrance not into the uh, people, the physical people, uh, or Israel, the church, but all into the spiritual people of God by faith in Jesus. Okay, now, that means the new covenant baptism is different because the new covenant people are different than Israel on some level. That relates to even why people who would profess infant baptism often say, you know, Israel and the church are completely uh, synonymous. They're the same thing. All right, so there's the kind of doctrinal understanding of it. So baptism by immersion, we understand to be something that happens upon a profession of faith. So a person personally has believed in Jesus, so they believe first, Baptism then is done by immersion after belief, and baptism then functions as a public sharing of your personal faith. It's important to say that. Jesus saves you through faith. Baptism isn't the act that saves you. Water is not washing away your sins in that way. Baptism is a display of faith. It's people coming forward to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And in a way, then, baptism serves as a public display of two things. First, on a personal individual level, it's a public display of my personal individual faith. But secondly, baptism is on a corporate kind of community level, a display that I'm making a lifetime commitment to Christ that is deeply serious. So baptism, therefore, is done one time, whereas think of the other one of the elements the Lord gave us, communion, which is done repeatedly. So baptism, it's important to state this. There's an aspect where all baptism is is simply saying, I love Jesus. So anyone who has faith in Jesus should be baptized. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you believe in him, you don't come forward to be baptized because you are super mature in your faith. You don't come forward to be baptized because you've reached a certain degree of holiness in your faith. You come forward to be baptized because Jesus is the object of your faith. Baptism is about exalting Jesus, not exalting the power of your faith. Okay, so baptism at that level is just a personal expression of faith. And I would want anyone listening to this who believes in Jesus to step forward and be baptized. However, 
I also want that second element. It's a really important public statement. It's a serious lifetime commitment to Jesus. When you step forward to be baptized, I actually like the analogy of a wedding. When when you come forward into a wedding, you don't intend to get married over and over and over again to the same person. You're come forward, coming forward in a view in a public way for many people in your community to see. You're putting a ring, you have a symbol that you put on your finger, and you're declaring your love publicly to this person, and it's seen by people so that they hold you to the commitment that you just made publicly. Baptism works like that. It's serious. You're not just flippantly getting up there on a spur of emotion. Instead, you're saying to the whole room, all these people who know you and who will hold you to the commitment you're making, I mean to follow Jesus. I'm being baptized to say, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. It's a profession of faith, but it's a deeply important profession of faith to be done one time in your life when you, with a mature expression of faith, say, I mean to follow Jesus. Now, that means some things for a local church. So practically speaking, who do we encourage to be baptized at Cornerstone? Well, and and like even the question gets put more specifically, like is there a particular age of person that you think should be baptized? Here's the standard I'll give you that we use at Cornerstone. While we would do not forbid a person who has a clear testimony of faith, even if they're very young from being baptized— We are actually more direct in our encouragement of adults and above to be baptized than we are of children. So by age, the way we operate kind of works like this. At the children's level, for instance, if you go to the Cornerstone Kids uh, classroom, you'll see us teach stories about Scripture, about personal faith in Jesus as our Savior, but you'll never see us teach in our children's ministry um, baptism. We won't push baptism on kids. Instead, we'll... Clearly, we practice baptism publicly as a church. Children will see people be baptized. They could talk to their parents about it. And we allow a parent who comes to us and advocates that they believe their child must be baptized because they are deeply convinced in their faith in Jesus. We allow that parental guidance to be our primary direction. But as a church, generally speaking, I wouldn't encourage a young person to be baptized before they would hit uh, middle school or high school age. Why is that? It has to do with a couple considerations. Um, First, uh, our church story. At Cornerstone, we're a university ministry-focused church. We have Salt Company. We're deeply aware of students who come to faith in Jesus in their college years. And over and over again, those students share a testimony that goes something like this. When I was five years old, I had a faith in Jesus because I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't really understand it. I jumped in and I got baptized. But now I'm getting baptized today again because now I actually understand what it means to follow Jesus. You see, over and over again, we, we see that. Now, I want to affirm a five-year-old having a simple faith in Jesus. When my children were younger, I encouraged them to have a five-year-old faith in Jesus. But there's something about the thoughtful lifetime commitment you make in baptism where you need to take it seriously enough that you're not doing it over and over and over, okay? And so for children, while we want to plant the seeds of faith, We think that baptism is a statement not just of the seeds of faith, but of of a lifetime nature of the fact that they're going to follow Jesus. 
And just like the wedding analogy, just like we don't have six-year-olds and 10-year-olds who can step forward and make the life-altering decision to be married, we, we just think there needs to be a maturity in the person to understand that principle of lifetime commitment. Making a commitment necessitates an ability to understand the nature of that commitment. So our practice at Cornerstone has been that we generally don't baptize unless a parent strongly advocates for it. We don't baptize children under the age of middle school. And then from middle school, we would stress personal faith in Jesus in our middle school ministry, and we would allow, but you won't see us pushing baptism inside of middle school or high school. We don't baptize in in our youth group, for instance. We don't want to do things that would encourage an emotional response that was just temporary in a middle school or high school. We want to encourage a long-term lifetime commitment. So I would say the average age of somebody being baptized at Cornerstone is probably 20 years old or above. Now, I want to be clear here. Everything I just explained was the way we do this in our local church. I'm not saying the New Testament says, nope, unless you're 20 years old, you can't be baptized. And we regularly have children who come forward, who when they fill out with their parents the baptism form, it's clear. God has done a work in their life. They have a genuine faith in Jesus. And because baptism is based on a genuine profession of faith, we will baptize that child so long as their parent advocates for it. What we're saying is, this is just a general guideline of wisdom. We think it's most helpful to the whole of the the church. We think it emphasizes the importance of baptism as a lifetime commitment. And so generally, we baptize people who are a bit older over people who are a bit younger. That also brings up the question from people when they get baptized of, what about somebody who grew up in the household where they were baptized as an infant? Should they be re-baptized as they get older? Well, the first thing I would want to say here is, again, I want you to take your faith seriously. So don't just do it because your friends are doing it in college. Do it because you carefully look at the teaching of the New Testament. On our website, with our baptism forms where you can sign up, there's a video people can watch about what baptism means and what it's about. There are resources people could consult. Um, But I think that people need to make a careful, biblically informed decision. Additionally, if someone's baptized as an infant, um, if you're going to be baptized again as an adult, I, I think you want to remember that infant baptism most of the time was seen as a symbol of your parents' faith, not your own. They were saying, we want to dedicate this child to Christ in the way that they knew how. And so I always encourage people considering that to be sure that they talk to their parents, to honor them. To say, Mom and Dad, the faith that I know you prayed I would have, I have. And as I've been studying the Bible, I actually believe God's calling me to be baptized now personally. I would love if you would be there to celebrate with me the faith that I have. I think that's important. Um, I know friends, for instance, who've studied this out carefully and decided, you know what, I believe that actually the form of baptism my parents used was, was good, and I, need to, I don't need to be rebaptized. I can respect that decision. We always just ask people who'd be attending Cornerstone to honor our practice. If Cornerstone is going to be a hard church for you to be excited about being at if you don't love baptism services. And so if you can joyfully celebrate with those being baptized, um, we, we love that people who might have a slightly different conviction would be at Cornerstone so long as they can rejoice in the baptism of others. Here, actually, I'm going to kind of end this with the most common question I get about baptism at Cornerstone, and it's this one. Um, 
I am terrified of speaking in front of a big group of people. Do I have to be baptized on the big stage of Cornerstone? I mean, isn't there some way I could do this in an easier way? Okay, I want to I say this as gently, the answer I give as gently as I can. Because if I were talking to people, I'd put my arms around them and listen to their fear of public speaking. Because guys, I get that fear. I personally don't have a fear of public speaking. I kind of have to do this a lot for my life. But I know the crowds at Cornerstone are often very, very large for baptism services, and it's intimidating. I walked with my own son through uh, working out his testimony to share with others in front of a very large group of people. It, it, it can be intimidating. Well, here's what I'd tell you. Baptism is about publicly identifying with Jesus. So the very first thing is to say, there's no such thing as a private baptism service any more than there's such thing as getting married by going locking yourself in a closet and professing your undying love for one another. Marriage ceremonies are by their nature publicly required because the commitment you're making is so important, you can't just keep it to yourself. And friends, the commitment you make to Jesus is more important even than the commitment you make to your spouse. And so the importance and value of that commitment means that by its very nature, baptism is about, in a very public way, identifying with Jesus. I want to tell you, I know it can be hard for people to share, but the incredible power of courage to stand in front of a group of people and say, Jesus, I, I want to follow you my whole life. And in spite of my, your fear to step forward and say that, I know that God will reward that faith. So, I know it's hard, but I tell people, go watch the baptism services, stir your faith, prepare your story, write it out on a note card, do all you can, but don't let fear of public speaking keep you away from obedience to Jesus. A public identification with him in baptism is a powerful step in your walk with God. It's an important step of obedience, and I'd encourage you, don't be so afraid to talk in front of a big group that you don't take the step of faith to identify with Jesus publicly. Well, February 11th, guys, we have our next baptism service at Cornerstone. Those signups are going to close on January 28th. I know they are filling up already, and after that, we have baptisms next up on March 30th and 31st, Easter Sunday at Cornerstone. And so for all who have believed in Jesus, who have trusted in Him, maybe you have just become a Christian, maybe you've started following Jesus for the very first time recently, this is a beautiful step. It's the outward symbol of your new life in Christ. It's the wedding ring on your finger saying to the world, I I want to follow Jesus. No turning back. And I want you to carefully consider it, prayerfully consider it, but step forward. Take that step. Share the good news of Jesus by sharing your story of how his good news has come into your life and be baptized. I'm looking forward to February 11th baptisms, and I hope a little bit of what we shared today gives you some biblical grounding, but also some practical wisdom as you consider how you should practice being baptized. 